All right, John chapter 15 today. John chapter 15. We are building steadily towards the crucifixion of Christ, which we are going to be talking about, celebrating at Easter. And so I want you to realize that when we turn to John chapter 15, the events that we're going to be reading about today are events that happened at the last few days Now, in John chapter 15, we're getting down to the last few hours of Jesus' life. So, you would think that as you read Scripture, the last things that Jesus says are going to be pretty important. Not that other things that he said are not important. I'm not even trying to say that at all. But I'm just saying that a lot of times when you know it's the end, you're a little more careful about the importance of the words that you say, right? And we have conversations all the time. We have conversations every day with people. We have conversations here at church, right? And honestly, how do most of those conversations go? Because we know we don't have a lot of time. How, how, How do most of those conversations go that we have here at church? How's it go? You know, hey, yeah, that was a good win the Browns got last week, right? Or so close again, <laughs> another loss, you know, whatever. We, we, we talk about, and, I'm, and, and this isn't to say, but those are the kind of, com- we talk, one of the things we talk a lot about is what? Oh, it's cold out today, or the sun's out today. We have conversations with people a lot about the weather, right? Uh, a lot of times we ask you know, just out of courtesy, how was your week? Now, many times they tell us, and we don't even really hear it, right? We don't know what they said. Yeah, did they have a good week? I don't know. I just asked the question, and they told me, but I don't know, right? But if you knew that today you were talking to somebody, and whatever conversation you had with them today was going to be the last time you ever spoke to them. Even if you were talking about the weather, you'd probably listen, right? We had a very similar uh, experience to this back in the summer. You know, Bonnie's sitting down here in the second row. It was 4th of July, and she asked if she could come over to my house and use my grill. Right, and for Fourth of July, and she wanted to do some cooking on the grill, and I had, yeah, she wanted to cook ribs, and I said, well, that would be perfect because I have a grill, but you know what, Bonnie? Honestly, I don't know how to cook ribs, and my next door neighbor won't show me how to cook because I've asked him many times, and then he passed away, and his kids won't show me how to cook ribs, and I, I really honestly don't know. So that would be great because you can use my grill. Right. And, and then she was going to teach me. And so I went over. She came over to the house. And we were just talking about, you know, just basic stuff, you know, and nothing really serious because, you know, we're just having a rec- good time. All right. We kidded with one another and I learned how to cook ribs, sort of. And and she, you know, she's showing me all the process and I'm trying to remember all this and use water and all this stuff. And uh, they cooked the ribs, and all that went fine. And I took her home, 
And Sunday, I, that following Sunday, I went to pick her up. And I'm calling her and calling her. She's not answering. I'm down in the parking lot, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And she's not coming out. And I thought, well, maybe I should go in the building. And then finally my phone rings. It's her son, Levi. And he says, you know, my mom had a couple heart attacks. She's in Cleveland Clinic. She's in ICU. She's on a machine. And I thought, but she was just she was just at my house. We were just we were just joking and talking and eating and having a good time. And so that Sunday after church, we went down to the hospital and walked in. Boy, it looked she was on a machine and I it looked bad. And I thought, man. If I would have just known that was the last day. Because honestly, when I saw her, I really thought, this is it. If I would have just known that was the last time. And here I had a whole day. But I didn't know. Now, of course, God raised her up and she's here and she's sitting here. We've had opportunity to talk. But you see how life is so, so fragile like that? So it's so short and it's so fragile and 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 this is so I want you to realize when we read John chapter fifteen, this is this is almost the crucifixion. Now Jesus is going to be resurrected, so there's going to be a little more time after that that they get to talk to him and see him, but his days are 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 at the end. And these are people that he has spent a lot of time with. These are disciples that Jesus has taught. And, and, and they've, they've done a lot of, experienced a lot of things with him. And they've seen him do miracles. And they've seen him help people. And they've seen him talk to people that normally they wouldn't talk to. And they've seen him walk through towns that normally they would walk around. And they've seen him tired and they've seen him discouraged, and they've seen him weep, and they've seen him filled with joy, and they've heard him preach. And so I just want you to realize that when we get to John chapter 15, that he knows this is the end, and so the things that he says are very, very important for them to hear, for them to understand, because there's coming a time very shortly when they're going to have to take those things and learn to live without him physically in their presence. And so he's saying, don't miss this. And we get to John chapter 15, and he tells them, I'm going to leave you. But he had already told them what? I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. So then there's kind of this contradiction. So then what does he mean? He says, I'm going to learn. I'm going to teach you. If you'll listen, you can learn by what I say in John 15. You can learn to abide in me. And you will find out the benefits of living apart from me. Because it's what I'm going to do is put my spirit within you. And you're going to live, and not just live, but prosper. But you're going to have to listen. 
You know, when I was a kid, we sang mostly hymns when I was growing up in church, right? Had a songbook, was one that you could, the hymn book was one that you could kind of find in almost every church, and we had these hymn books. And I went to church since I was an infant, okay? I think the first Sunday I attended church, I think I was five days old. My first day at church card is at the church where I grew up in Michigan. There's like this hallway of pictures, kind of like we have out here. There's a long hallway of pictures, and it's all history of the entire church over all the years. And there's a little card, my nursery card, my first day in the nursery. And I think I was five days old, and that card is hanging on the wall. Somebody filled out for me. So I grew up in church, and I grew up singing songs and hymns. And there was a song that we used to sing that I used to like because I liked the tune of it. The hymn was called Constantly Abiding. It goes like this. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave, a peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come here to stay. All the world seemed to sing of a Savior and King when peace sweeps when peace sweetly came to my heart. Troubles all fled away, and my night turned to day. Blessed Jesus, how glorious thou art. And then the chorus is, constantly abiding, Jesus is mine, constantly abiding, rapture divine. He never leaves me lonely, whispers oh so kind, I will never leave thee, Jesus is mine. I sang that song constantly abiding, I don't know how many times. Love the tune, love the words, and in all of those years that I attended Sunday school, church, time after time, week after week, involved in youth group, went to a Christian school, I sang that song, and not one time did I understand what it meant. You know why? Because here's what was really important at church when I was a kid. First of all, being there, attendance. We used to have competitions against the churches around us to make sure we were always had the largest attendance. Always had to be there. Not saying that going to church is bad, but that was the priority. Attendance. You got gifts. We gave awards. We had contests. Man, you go for six months, man, you, get, you walk out of there with bicycles and tickets to the circus. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Being there was huge. You know what else was really big? What we wore. Man, you spent half the morning just getting ready because, man, it was a show. And what we were wearing was important. What you wore was important because everybody was going to look and everybody was going to see. Everybody was going to compare. And it doesn't mean it's wrong to look nice, but, man, what we wore was really big. That we had the biggest attendance. And you know what else was really big? 
how much we gave. Money was a big part of it. And I'd stand there and I'd know, hey, as long as I'm here, as long as I look good, and as long as the church is doing good financially, we're all good. God's happy, God is pleased, and we're good. And nobody said to me, I need you to make sure you're abiding in Christ. And I just want to let you understand that as we are here, and as we are hearing these last words of Jesus, churches all over America are praying for revival. Churches all over America are saying, you know, there's something wrong with our churches because people aren't getting their, their prayers answered. Something's wrong because we're not seeing revival and we've been praying for it and we don't see changes happening. Maybe it's because things like attendance, things like clothes, things like money are the high top priority. And maybe if people started abiding in Christ. Maybe if people actually knew what abiding in Christ meant. Maybe if people even knew what Jesus made a priority at the end of his life, maybe for the first time, people would be empowered to see revival happen. So at the end of his life, when Jesus says, listen, this isn't a conversation about the weather. This isn't a conversation about the sports team. This isn't a conversation about how was your week because I'm about to go. And I've asked you to go out and make disciples, and I've asked you to go out and turn the world upside down. So if you're going to do that, you can't miss what I'm about to say. You've got to hear what I'm about to say right now, because this is how you're going to be able to do it. And so we get to John chapter 15. And as we read these verses, I want you to either look at I don't know if it's going to be up on the screen, but if you look at your Bibles, when we're going through here, what I want you to do is look for the my statements. OK, read through the scripture Follow along, and I want you to point out when it says, my something, all right? I want you to see those, because therein is going to lie many of our benefits. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, so that they are burned. If you remain in me, and what is it? There's my statement. 
My words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Then is what? My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in what? My love. If you keep what? My commandments. You will remain in what? My love. <laughs> Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my what? Joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has loved no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. I think that's so important right there at the very end. Yes, it is. And then just before that, he says, first of all, just understand, I'm about to go away. But the power and authority that I'm going to give you and the benefits of what it is you'll have. Just remember, in the midst of that trial in life, I've chosen you. I chose you. And I chose you with the trials or with the problems that you have. Were the, were the disciples perfect people? No. no. Some of them were in their society scoundrels, right? Tax collectors and some of these things. Fishermen, rough. He says, but just remember, I chose you for this. You're in this, and I'm going to give you the benefits that you need to be successful. So let's talk about abiding. I just told you, that's something I didn't hear much about when I was growing up. I didn't hear anything about it at all. But we're going to talk about it today. This portion of scripture, when we get to John chapter 15, and Jesus says, I am the vine, or the true vine. You need to understand, since we haven't been through the book of John, you need to understand that this is the seventh I am statement that Jesus gave. You look at the book of John, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in this verse, he says, I am the vine. Now, how many of you have spent most of your life growing grapes? How many of you? Oh, that would be a zero, okay? So this is one of those passages that if we haven't spent a lot of time out in a vineyard growing grapes and we've never taken the time to, for whatever reason, really study how that's done, we can read verses like this and in our society, in our culture, that's all well and good and we figure it's important because Jesus called himself the vine, but because we don't understand how that works, we don't really understand the true importance of it. 
So today I think it's kind of important for us just to take somewhat of a journey into a culture and a society that when Jesus said, I am the vine, most everybody around him would have understood exactly what it meant to be part of that. They would have understood how important that was. This would have been more of an agricultural society that would have understand and would have been able to walk the roads that Jesus walked and seen vineyards and vines all over the place. All right. Now, it's starting in Cleveland. It's starting to have a comeback. There's a big vineyard on the west side. There's a little one on the east side that we come over there. Where is that at? Oh. 66 and Huff, there's a little vineyard there. So they're starting to pop up, but we need to do a little uh, study of that today to find out. And so it's, uh, we need to understand that when Jesus says, I am the true vine, in the Old Testament, the vine referred to Israel. And it carried a negative connotation because we know that Israel was disobedient. Many times they were stiff-necked, they were rebellious. And then Jesus, on the other hand, states what? Though they were that, I am what? What does he say? What, what word comes before the vine? I am the true vine, right? Okay, so you've got Israel that has messed up, they've been rebellious, but Jesus says, I am, I represent the true vine. I am not rebellious. I am not stiff-necked. Everything the Father desires for me to do, I do, and I want to do, all right? So he is the true vine. What is he telling them? As the true vine, he says this, I will ensure and I will equip you to produce the type of fruit that is pleasing to the Father. That's what Israel's job was to do, to please the Father and set an example for the whole world. This is what it's like to obey God, and this is what it's like to love God. And they were supposed to do that in front of the world so that the world would desire to love God and serve God and worship God also. But they failed in that. And Jesus says, as the true vine, I will ensure and equip, that for, equip you to produce the type of fruit that is pleasing to the Father, unlike Israel, that's proven to be unfruitful and unable to produce fruit acceptable to God. So Jesus says to them, there is a command to be obeyed, and that is to obey the one who is the vine. And understand there's a there's somewhat of a hierarchy here. First of all, he says, I am the vine, that's Jesus, and we are the what? We're the branches. As branches, we are to do what? To abide. To abide carries the idea of being permanently connected in an intimate relationship. As a kid, this is how I was connected to God. Be here every time the church is open. This is how I was connected to God. Look nice every time you come. This is how I was connected to God. Be part of the youth group. This is how I was connected to God. And I was always able to say, but look what I'm doing. 
And I was always able to say, and look what I don't do. And everything that connected me to God was things that I did and things that I didn't do. And nobody ever said, yeah, but even more important than that, the reason for that is because you want to be connected to God in a very intimate, close relationship. And you want to do everything in your power that is necessary to make sure that you continually remain in his presence. This is a tight-knit relationship he's talking about. Unfortunately, what are most of our relationships with God? Well, we, we attend, we're here, we're part of a church community. But when we really need him, when crisis comes, God is something we try to connect to every time a major crisis comes along. He's kind of the place we go to when we're really in trouble. He's the one that we pray to when we really get ourselves in something that we can't get ourselves out of. Then we're willing to go to him and say, God, I've got myself in a jam again. I need you today. Every other time. Hey, we're good. I, I went to church. I put some money in the box. I did my stuff. Uh-oh, I'm in a big jam. Ooh, I better get close to God. Ooh, I better pray. This isn't just visiting God when we are in trouble. Abiding with him is, abide, is, is a close-knit relationship with him when life is good. And it's a close relationship with him when life is bad. It is a way of life. It is an everyday, moment-by-moment relationship. And for those who are connected, he says, you'll first of all, one of the benefits is you'll be able to bear what? Fruit. I'm the vine. You're the branch. This is what's really neat. If you've ever seen the vine and the branches, it's not the vine that has all the fruit on it. It's what? The branches. You'd think, well, God reserves all the fruit for himself, right? He says, no. Here's how I'm going to operate. I'll be the vine. You'll be the branch. And you get to have, the, you'll be the one who gets to have all the fruit on it. And people will look at that and they'll say, wow, look at that amazing fruit that's coming from that person. And they'll know you're so connected to me that they'll say, wow, God is really a good God. Because <laughs> I remember that person and boy, before they became a Christian, there wasn't a whole lot of fruit that was anything good coming out of their life. And now I look at them and I see the change and I see the fruit that's coming out of their life. Man, they must be connected to something really good, something really amazing. So he lets us bear the fruit to bring him glory. 
But he says, if you're not connected to me, don't even think about the fruit because, wow, all the nutrients are coming from where? From the vine. And the thing you should be most worried about, I don't want to ever become disconnected. What do I got to do? And that's why I wish that when I was little, somebody would have said, hey, you need this close relationship with God. You need to make sure you do that every day. You need to make sure you do it all the time. Don't just fall past on what you're doing, your works. Don't look at that. Are you connected to Jesus Christ? And so I need to say, first of all, if you're thinking about the benefits and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to see today then what you're missing. I want you to see what you're missing. Because if you're apart from Christ, you're trying to do it all on your own. Christianity is not made that way. This isn't a, an Amer- like an American thing where I'm a self-made man. I did it my way, right? So the Christian or the, the American culture, do it your way. Anybody can make it to the top. If you just work hard enough, you can get there. You can do anything. Everything's a possibility if you just work hard enough and you're willing to sacrifice enough. See, that doesn't work in this He said, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. It all starts with me. You're the branch, and you can bear a ton of fruit. But I'm the one who's going to help you do that because it comes from me. So let's talk about fruit production. As a believer, we are to bear fruit. He says, you are to bear fruit for God. And many people view this incorrectly as they attempt to please God In their own power, in their own strength. But bearing fruit is not simply trying harder. Fruit production for the believer does not take place as a result of a mind that is focused on mental determination or a will that is fixed on change. The fruit of the Spirit comes from God himself and fruit bearing is something that comes from God through Christ and is produced by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Fruit bearing is something that comes from God through Christ and is produced by the spirit within you. If you are not connected to the source, fruit bearing is not possible. So then you ask the question, so how do I get connected? You start it with salvation. The very salvation Jesus was coming to win for us on Calvary's cross starts with salvation. So we're initially connected to him when we get saved. Now that you're saved, if you're saved, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we bear fruit when God is what? Bible says, I am the vine, you're the branches, the Father is the what? What was the word? Starts with a G. He's the gardener. This is an amazing benefit. Okay, we want to bear fruit for God, right? You should. Yes, I want to bear fruit. You say, Pastor Ken, I want to bear fruit for God. How do I do that? First of all, you're going to realize it's not so much you. How do I do that? 
How does God, this is the question, how does God do that through me? That's the question you need to ask. How does God help me bear fruit? And the Bible is so clear. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And what the father does is he's the gardener. This is how amazing it is that we have a father who loves us this much to be a good gardener for us so we can bear fruit. Now think about a vine with branches on it, okay? You kind of got a mental picture of that? Vine with branches? On, on a vine with branches, there's something that's called a sucker, all right? Now, where I first got familiar with this is when I used to do tomato plants. I used to, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I had a farm there, and my garden was 80 feet wide and 100 feet long. And I used to put between 60 and 80 tomato plants in it, all right? That's a lot of tomatoes. Just, okay, that's a lot, all right? That's when you go, you don't just go pick a tomato. You pick basket loads, okay? You fill baskets full. And on the tomato plant, just like on the vine of grapes, there is something called suckers. So the tomato plant would have like, you'd have the main stalk and then you'd have the branches coming out and between the main stalk and a branch there would be this little this little branch that would pop up right in that v between the main stalk and the branch coming out there would be this little and so if you just left it there it would just grow and the plant would look huge i mean it would just look huge and so I liked the look of a big, full plant, and it was all just filled out. And I look, man, doesn't my garden look good? And people were saying, what, what are you doing? I said, man, look how good that looks. No, you're not going to get any fruit if you, you better trim that thing down. I'm like, what are you talking? I'm not going to cut that thing. Look how nice it is. I mean, everybody goes by, wow, wish I had a garden like that. I mean, that, that thing catches your eye. No, you can't leave. And then somebody took me out there. I said, grab a pair of scissors. And between the branch and the stalk, every one of those little suckers that's sticking up, take your scissors and start cutting them off. And so I took a plant and I started cutting all those little extra branches off. And man, that thing was all just cut down to... Had a skinny little looking thing. What in the world? They said, now you're ready for fruit. Now you're ready. Let me ask you. Well, let me tell you, why did I do that? Because those suckers that grow in there, they'll never produce fruit. No blossoms will ever form on those, and there will be bunches of them. And no blossoms, they're never intended to bear fruit. So you know what they do? All they do, they look nice when the thing is all full and filled out. But this main stalk, the main vine coming up, all the nutrients are coming from that and feeding out to the branches. There are branches that have blossoms and flowers and tomatoes will come on. But every one of those little suckers that you leave on there and don't cut off, nutrients go into that. 
nutrients go into that. And they're robbing the valuable nutrients that could be going out to the fruit. And instead of getting 20 tomatoes on one branch, you get two because half the nutrients that would have went to producing fruit all went to these little suckers that are just drawing the sap out. And let me ask you a question. Though we think we're pretty good people, Satan does a good job of putting stuff in our life that draws from the nutrients that what we really need from God, right? We got a lot of things in our thoughts and a lot of things in our lives and a lot of habits. And you know what they do? They're just draining us. They're just draining us. And they're pulling all of that beneficial source that is coming from God and the power of the Holy Spirit and these habits and these things that we have in life. And we have a God who is a gardener. And we come and we say, God, make my, we, we pray. When we have our prayer times, God, take all my pain away. God, take all my problems away. God, don't let me ever suffer at all. Don't let me ever go through anything bad. And God says, wait a minute, don't you want to bear fruit? You know what our prayer time should be? God, I've got all of these things in my life that are just sucking the sap out of me so that I don't bear fruit for you. God, would you just start pruning me? I mean, just start cutting off all of those things that are taken away from me. Just start cutting it off. And he says, we have a father who loves us enough not to let us be like that big fluffy tomato plant we have a god that loves us so much he says you know what that thing right there in your life that thing right there is keeping you from serving me clip gone see that thing right there that's keeping you from serving me clip you say ah oh, god that hurts <laughs> that hurts when you're cutting all those parts away from me and that's hard he says yeah but i want you to bear fruit I love you enough to let you just be sitting here spinning in circles. I want you to bear fruit. So he clips and he prunes and he helps us. So do you get that illustration? He says every branch that is not bearing fruit, that's what he's talking about. Those suckers that are just drawing the sap right out of us. He says, you know what I did? I, God is a good gardener and he just cuts those and cuts and he prunes us and he prunes us because he wants us to to bear fruit and he knows those things are sucking the life out of us so one of them is the production of fruit but that comes when god does what he does best he prunes us right you ever seen a tree that's been pruned i I was driving down the road just yesterday. <laughs> I'm thinking about this message. And in our neighborhood right now, they've got these tree companies that are coming through, and they've got the bucket trucks. And the trees grow up into the power lines, right? And they get hung up in the power lines, and they cause all kinds of problems. And so they're coming through, and they're pruning trees. And this one poor tree, I mean, it was just like a bunch of stubbly little a year from now, you know what? That tree is going to be twice its size. It looks difficult to see something pruned. 
but the production that comes from it. And God knows that. So one of it is the one of the benefits is production of fruit. The other thing that we were talking about, what verse was it? We were reading and he said the phrase. Uh, but the, my words, which one had my words connected to? He's. Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. The other thing is one of the benefits of being connected to God in an intimate, close relationship is not only the production of fruit, but it is the purifying effect of the words. If you remain in my words, when we talk about God's word, what are we talking about? What is God's word? Hold it up. You have it in your hand, most of you. The Bible, there you go, right? If you remain in my words. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is synonymous with the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God, and the word what? Was God. If you remain in my words, Psalm 1, what does it say about the person who makes God a matter of priority in their life? Blessed is the man who walketh what? Not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law doth he what? Meditate day and night. There's a great joy for the person who makes a decision to refuse the advice of the wicked and chooses to delight in the law of the Lord. The benefit to the believer who abides in the word is a believer who is like a tree. Psalm 1 says you're like a tree that is planted with strong roots. Firmly grounded and spiritually stable like a tree planted near the river. What is a tree planted near the river? The roots go down, and when it's really close to the river, what does it do? Yeah, and we're towards, towards the direction of the water. You're like a tree. You're not like a scrubby old tree that's way out in the desert somewhere, barely trying to stay alive. But when you delight in the law of the Lord, you become like a tree that is solid, a spiritually stable person, and you're connected to the vine, right? And all those nutrients, you're like a tree planted right by the water. And, man, it has the benefit of taking its roots down and putting them right over. And just, man, I've got a constant water supply. I've got all the nutrients that I need daily to be a not only a fruit-bearing person, but a stable person who can understand that the world is giving me a lie, that the world is taking me in a wrong direction. And I don't want to be disconnected from that source of nutrients and that water that continues to feed me. Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word hid can be uh, translated treasured. Thy word have I treasured in my heart. Man, I wish... 
when I was younger, there would have been more priority on treasuring the word of God than there was of just making sure I won a contest because I was there every week. I wish there would have been more priority in saying, hey, are you abiding in the Lord? Not saying, did you win the contest? Well, not only that, but there's a, number three, there's a confidence. Jesus is telling his disciples that when you abide in me, people who are bearing fruit and are connected to the source, they're not afraid to ask for what is needed to completely accomplish God's will in their lives and know that he will help them through it. The Bible here does not say Ask God for things according to his will, and he'll do it and so that it'll convince you to start loving him and start bearing fruit. You say, well, you know what? I should be a fruit-bearing person, and I should get connected to the vine because, after all, I asked God for a couple things according to his will, and he answered my prayer, and so he deserves me to go ahead and do that. You know what he says? He says the kind of people that see great things done in their lives and answers to prayer are the people who are already abiding in me. And I answer their prayers because when I answer their prayers, it's an evidence of who I am. And actually, when people see their prayers being answered, it actually encourages others. You know what? I think I need to be connected to the vine. And answers to prayer come to those who are connected and who are intimately, daily, close, walking with the Lord, loving his word. Those are the people who have the confidence to ask God things according to his will and know that he is going to help them through that. It's the one who is not connected who says the prayers, well, then God give me this, God give me that, God give me the desires you know where that comes from? That comes from selfishness. But the one who is connected daily, walking and loving the word of God says, God, there's things that I might be tempted to ask for, but I'm not going to ask for those from you because they're not the best thing for me. I know that because your word says that's not the best thing for me because I'm in a close, intimate relationship with you. And so there is a confidence in prayer. God gets glory when we bear much fruit because we have prayed and God has answered. If you're not devoted to fruit bearing, you have no warrant for expecting answers to prayer. So there's a confidence in prayer. And then when we're close with the Lord and abiding in him, there's this growing love for obedience to God. He says, follow the commands just like I have done. Jesus said, not my will to the Father, but he said, thine will be done. And when we are connected to him and we have that mindset, there is this growing love for obedience. What keeps most people from wanting to serve God or become a Christian or go to church? Well, I don't want to do that. I can't give up my life and my fun and my happiness and my joy. I can't give up all of those things. And Jesus is saying, when you are connected to the vine, it changes the things that you love. 
It changes the desires that you have. And you begin, as you abide in me, you start having my love as opposed to what you love. Your love, you begin to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. We are the same way, and it's not only a love for God, but it's also a love for each other. The love that's talked about here in this passage in John 15 is agape love, sacrificial love. It is a love that sacrifices for others. So there's a growing love. So really, I mean, when we're abiding in Christ, it's changing our relationship both to God and our relationship to other people. And that's why he looked at the disciples and says, not only do you, should you love me, but I want you to love one another like I love you. It should change our love for others. John 14, 15 says, uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and abiding and obeying go hand in hand. As we abide, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey. 1 John 5, 3, loving God means keeping his commandments and his, com and his commandments are not burdensome for us. And then the last one is that we experience. Remember, as we were reading, he says that you will have my joy. One of the benefits of abiding in Christ is real joy, not the world's joy, not my joy, God's joy, not built on external circumstances, because these disciples were about to go face tremendous persecution. Some of them were going to die terrible deaths for their stand for God. It's not the kind of joy that says, well, what am I doing tomorrow if I don't have something fun? It's not Cedar Point kind of joy. It's not Disneyland kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that says what I am doing is the right thing. Based on the word of God and the law of God that I love. Based upon the one who I'm connected to. And I'm willing to suffer and even lose my life for the cause of Christ. And that brings me joy. The fruit of the Spirit, one of them is what? Joy. So the question is, are you abiding in Christ? We have been called to have a deep, intimate relationship. Do we invite God to prune us so we can bear fruit? Do we pray according to his will, not our wants and wishes? Do we pray that God's will will be done so that when he answers, people will see that and he'll get the glory? Are we loving one another as we ought to? Because 
that is one of the fruits of the Spirit, or are we selfish? Are we consumed with our own wants and desires? Are we sacrificially loving others for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God? And here's the last one. Are we experiencing real joy today? I didn't say, are you happy about your finances? Are you happy about everything taking place in your home? Are you happy about your health? I'm not asking about that. I'm saying, are you connected to Christ and knowing that someday when we pass from this life to the next, we're going to step on heaven's shore. We're going to see our Savior face to face. We're going to see the scars that are in his hands. We're going to walk the streets of gold. We're going to see a place where there is light for all of eternity. And we're going to know that we are so blessed. Our joy is not found here. If it is, we're cooked, right? <laughs> Our joy is not in the weather tomorrow. Our joy is not in the Browns. Our joy is not in a sports team our joy is in a place called heaven. And fortunate for us, this life is like a vapor. And someday, we will be united there. And oh, the joy. Those are the benefits of abiding with Christ. Maybe the reason we haven't seen the revivals, maybe the reason we haven't seen a desire for God is because we have not taught people individually every day to abide in Christ and bear fruit that brings him glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this passage. As that old song said, constantly abiding, Jesus is mine. I trust today that people will understand the importance of abiding in Christ. Thank you for being a gardener who prunes us, who does the work necessary. We would hold on to all of those things. We would hold on to them. We would say, God, don't cut that off. Don't take that away. But the gardener says, if you keep that, you'll never bear fruit. You'll never bring me greatest glory. I love you too much to let that remain. And I pray that together we might bear much fruit, that we might have a confidence in our prayer, that, that we would love your will, and that we would pray your will, whether it's good things or bad things, to be done in our life. I pray that abiding in you changes the way that we love, both to you and to others. And I pray that abiding in you will give us a new sense of joy, not based upon our circumstances or whether or not there's sunshine or rain, whether there's health or sickness, 
sorrow or pain, but that our joy is found in God and the eternity that he has prepared for us. Before we do our communion today and as we sing together, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to learn and love to abide in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.